Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my psychic and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy and my tie-dye friend, Nathan Lee hmm. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Hello, Windy. Nathan, why are you my tie-dye friend? <laughs> because that's my style, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, we got contacted by a, a company. I'm going to call them a company. It's a, a, a collaboration, so a group of friends who set up a t-shirt business called Pleaties. And basically they they offered us some free shirts. And, you know, we don't get offered free stuff very often. <laughs> and it was very exciting. So we are now the proud owners of Pleaties uh, shirts. Nathan and I both went for tie-dye options. And they're really, really cool. I'm not sure if I've worked up yet to have the courage to wear it outside the house. I need to get there. Nathan, it's very much in your style, though. Yeah, this is this is custom designed specifically for me. I have many already matching garments of this style and the appropriate, uh, you know, uh, remaining costume in my wardrobe. Um, as our our good friend uh, Dan pointed out, Daniel Platt, uh, how old did he say? Where is the Where is the quote? Um, finally a brand for the fashion conscious spurs supporting psychedelic aficionado. I mean, that's something they should put on the website because it's perfect. <laughs> um, basically, what they've done is they've designed some alternative spurs tops because it's not that cool for a grown man or woman to wear a replica shirt. Plus, I mean, have you seen the home shirt this year? So it's they're really cool they're, they've got really unique designs i've got one um in fact i don't i don't want to give it away i think you need to go on the website and have a look it's pleatees.com is the website or instagram.com forward slash pleatees have a look on instagram because they'll they've put some nice shots up on there um if you use the code extra 20 you get 20 percent off and also we have a shirt to give away as well so one listener is going to win a shirt all you need to do is leave us a review on your podcast platform and email us at podcast at the and we'll select our favourite review um, to get a shirt. They're really cool. I mean, to be honest, I would just promote something because they've given me something for free. That's how easily bought I am. However, <laughs> these are genuinely really nice. The quality is excellent. Um, I like the style. And yeah, go and have a look and see what you think. You don't have to get a tie-dye one. I've gone for a classic plain white tee with um, 
what is it? It's a, a stroll down Tottenham High Road, which celebrates some of the best pubs and takeaway places on the high road to kind of journey up towards the stadium. And that is a long sleeve white one. So, um, yeah, you don't have to go tie dye. You can go classic. You don't have to, but you should. <laughs> <laughs> the brand name Pleaties is, uh, is after David Pleat as well, which I liked. Who incidentally recommended um, Eberechi Eze to, to Spurs, uh, who's just joined mm. Crystal Palace and who I really liked. And Pleat, Pleates, sorry, is spelt P-L-E-A-T-E-E-S. Uh, so do have a look, see what you think. How you doing, boys? You good? Not bad, not bad. A little, a little, a little worn out with the old sitting in front of a screen with my microphone on over the last couple of days, but I'm, I'm, I'm coping. It's been full on. It has been full <laughs> on. Um, I really, really enjoyed the Amazon documentary drop, watching three episodes, and I really enjoyed chatting to you guys about it. It was a lot of fun. It, it, it really took it out of me. Um. And then Nathan, bless you, you had to then go and produce all three of those episodes. I don't know how you did it. Um, so it was a lot of work. Uh, but I think worthwhile. I think it was worthwhile. After watching three episodes, recording three episodes and editing three episodes, I was just sort of, just, just taking a bit of time hanging out this afternoon and I flicked through my, my podcast app of choice. I thought, oh look, there's there's a new fighting cock uh, out. And I, I listened to the first five minutes and I realised this. Look, as much as I enjoyed the fighting cock, I really don't want to be thinking about all or nothing for, <laughs> for the next 40 minutes again. So so I'm going to skip that one, I reckon. The podcasts we put out have had um, uh, largely a good reaction. I would say a, a mixed reaction. Uh, I got accused of having an anti-Mourinho agenda which to be fair if you only listen to the first episode that's probably uh probably fair probably fair I mean perhaps I should have done a better job at concealing my distaste for some of his um comments uh but I mean I I I did say that there were certain parts of his um talks with players that that impressed me and I thought were good and I really liked his interaction with the 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 admin team in Lily White House I thought that was lovely um Overall, I'm very excited about the Amazon show. I think it's been a lot of fun. There's been a lot of memes that come from it. Um, Bardi, how did you find the experience of, of the day? I, I quite enjoyed it. I mean, my wife wants to watch it now, but I don't know if I can bring myself <laughs> to watch it because I've watched nearly each episode twice already and then spoken about it and then listened to various other podcasts talking about it. So I don't know. I'll maybe give it a little bit of time before before I watch it again. But I enjoyed talking about it. I think... Um, if you haven't downloaded it, go and download it. It's nice. Yeah, cool. So last time we spoke, Spurs have made another signing. Did I say that right? Since last time we spoke, Spurs have made another mm. signing. Um, Matt Doherty from Wolves. Very cheap. Good price point for, for what he is. Um, wrong side of 28, Nathan? Wrong side of like 26, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, very, very cheap fee. Uh, like a really bad fee from Wolves' perspective, which brings up questions about... Uh, Jorge Mendes. Uh, oh wait, is it Jorge Mendes? Oh god, we're getting into Jose Jose territory Mendes. again. Jesus Christ, Mendes. Nathan, don't do this <laughs> Which brings up some interesting <laughs> questions about Mendes. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, it's maybe some slight concern there. But I guess there's also an extent to which uh, that might be just how much players cost at the moment based on the pandemic and everything and Wolves getting whatever they can for a player who's turning 28. Yeah, so I think that he is, you know, a good player. Maybe a bit specified for perhaps what I thought we should be looking for. 
but a good player nonetheless. Uh, there have been questions raised by others about his defensive ability. I'm not so concerned about that from what I've seen. I think I'm going to do, I think I'm going to do a second Doherty video, maybe. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, I the thing with both this transfer and the Hoybier one is like, yes, these are Premier League proven, experienced players. Um, which is upside and downsides. The normal downside of buying peak age Premier League plays is they're really expensive, which is obviously something that we've overcome here. Uh, but it does also mean that, like, what's their resale value going to be like in three years' time? What's their quality of actual player going to be like in three years' time? It feels very much like we're buying players for now. And certainly there's the upside of, like, yeah, they're going to come in, they're going to have an immediate impact, they're going to be first-team players, and that's something that obviously we desperately need. Uh, but it it feels well. It feels very um, in the manager's um, design, which is obviously a good thing. You want that sort of um, that positive connection between what the manager is seeking and what the club are actually offering in terms of players, and it's good to have that consistency. It's just that that particular design is like win the FA Cup, probably get top four, and then not be in such a good state with the squad in three years. But I don't think that's the end of the world. I think that we're not so poor that we can't afford to buy players for now and then have to reinvest in two or three years' time. That's that's not the absolute death for us. Um so maybe that's maybe that's just the balance our squad needs is is a couple of players for now who are decent and will hold things down and have an immediate impact. I did wonder about the price. I, I thought perhaps is it partly a matter of um uh perception and also what's gone before so wolves signed him really cheaply to begin with so essentially they're flipping him for a huge huge profit and therefore does it mean that they care slightly less about the price they're receiving for him is there something in that so for example if they if they'd say paid 10 million for him um all those years ago would they be demanding a higher price and and is there something in the fact that they paid less so maybe don't feel the need to kind of eke out as much as they can value wise from a transfer i don't know it's just something that i wondered about because it is absurdly cheap even for this market for a proven premier league player who's you know i think we can say in his peak he might be slightly over his peak but he's roughly in his peak um even with the mendez link it's yeah i don't know it, it seemed cheap to me what do you what do you think of this party I quite like the idea. If if we're going to persist with this kind of um, punching with the right hand side, then I think he's a a good wing back to do that. He reminds me very much of like Marcus Alonso. I think he pulls up similar kind of goals and assist ratio, where um, he's he's just he's just useful and he's big and he's he's very tall, which kind of suits the Mourinho kind of profile. And I think he's I think it's a huge step up. I think Billy T put a. Um, uh, his his kind of slant on stats and said one hundred percent not just uh, Aurier one hundred percent not Aurier in all in all in all areas. So I think it's a um, it's a, it's an improvement that way and it's um it's marginal gains. You know, take tweak. We've been lacking certain areas and this is a it's perhaps not a groundbreaking transfer, but it's it improves it. I said it's like getting socks for Christmas. It's very useful and it's what you need. It's not kind of what you want, but I think I think it's a sensible signing. The price is great. And if you look across Wolves social media, they're kind of upset about it. They think they could have got doubled that money. And I, I think it will prove to be a, a quite astute signing. 
you could play the back four as an advanced right back. We can switch to a back three as well and um, perhaps try Sessignon in a, in a left wing back role. I've just searched down and retweeted that tweet you mentioned because I missed it before. So thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think the idea that like he only cost um, Wolves uh, tens of thousands and therefore they're making a huge return there is is sort of a variety of sunk cost fallacy and I, I suspect Wolves I don't think that's a useful way of thinking. I suspect Wolves are probably too smart for that. I, I don't I don't think that's it. I think there's either something uh dodgy or suspicious at play here. Yeah, I mean uh, Chelsea have shown if you look at what the Swiss Ramble did on on Chelsea's finances Chelsea have been very clever on how they've sold players, when they've sold players, book value, and the rest of it. So there could be that 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 will that will go down into their books as a massive chunk of profit. So there are a lot of teams doing that. You saw Barcelona and Juve when they swapped um, Pjanic and Arta. That that was pretty much all bookkeeping. Yep. And I think we might see a lot of that. I think um, FFP, if that if it even exists, won't count um, this kind of COVID period, but. Um, it's an opportunity for a lot of teams to do some some smart accounting right now. It reminded me of Football Manager, where you have a conversation with a player who wants to leave, and they say, "What we what um, transfer fee will you accept for me?" And you have to sort of, mm. sort of make a judgment call as to how much you're willing to accept, and then keep that promise. Maybe Wolves have said to Doherty over some time, "You know, we, we're willing to sell you if we hit a certain price." He's pushed them on it, and they've said, "Right, this is the price." I don't know. I mean. Arsenal are looking at what twenty million for Maitland Niles. I think who's got potential and everything, but he's still a kid, very unproven. I th- I think this this might turn out to be a a very good signing. If not, it would just turn out to be a pretty decent one, which is kind of what we need at right back at the well, moment. Well, as I tweeted, the the key thing is it's a huge upgrade on Aurier. I mean, mm. I know Aurier has a lot of fans, particularly on Reddit. A lot of fans um, do think Aurier is a good right back. I do not. I think he is. A bad right back. I think Matt Doherty is going to be a big, big, big improvement. And I think we'll notice that from week one, basically. Um, Interestingly, Newman on Twitter says, now that Mourinho is signing players, is it more evident that Poch was the problem with lack of signings in the past two seasons? Was he being too picky? Nathan, what do you think? Do you think there's something in that? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, And this is kind of what I was saying before. It's like we're we're getting Mourinho type players and there's positives in that, in that Mourinho is very clear. Um, he wants, you know, PK's ready players. He doesn't need absolute superstars to play defensive midfielder and right back. He needs functional players who will enable, hopefully, the likes of, you know, Kane Deli already in the squad to do special things. Mm. Whereas Potts, you know, maybe is holding out for, you know, the likes of Lacelso and Ndombele. I think a squad needs probably a balance of those kind of, of transfers. Um, so, yeah, no, fair enough. I, 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 uh, I, I don't think that's an unreasonable suspicion to have about the time under Pochettino. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of reasonable to be picky when you are desperate to create exactly the right environment with exactly the right players who are able to do very specific tasks. But there comes a point where you've just got to look for better than what you've currently got. And I think that's what we've done this summer. You know, Huybier, Hart and, and now Doherty are not necessarily top four shoo-ins they're not players that would trouble City or Liverpool's teams but they're all better than the equivalent player that they've replaced and and that can be just as important in some ways and I, I think with Doherty as well we need to see that we've just sold Walker Peters for 13 million so that makes it seem even cheaper um, in some ways 
Although, of course, I do believe that Walker Peters will be a loss <laughs> because that's me. Um, okay, Kartik Kyra says, now that we have a tall team like Mourinho wanted, do you think we'll see more goals from set pieces or do we definitely need a set piece coach? What do you think, Bardi? Um, I'm not sure if this will improve our chances at set pieces. I don't think, I don't think if, if you can equate height with that. But what I think it does offer us is a, um, a diagonal option where we're further into the opposition half and then we can hit a diagonal at Doherty coming around the back post. We've seen that a few times with him playing for Wolves. We see, I mentioned Alonso already. Alonso does that quite a lot as well, especially against Spurs. Uh, where you have a taller fullback hitting that hitting that back post area, I think it might work for us there. I don't know if it's going to improve our goals from corners, but it, it might help us in defensive situations as well. Nathan, how keen are you on us getting a set piece specialist to come in and coach the team? <laughs> Massively, and I think have that we I, got time I, I, for that though. Uh, yeah, yeah, you do. You do an hour training session once a week. It's not game specific. You maybe can get towards doing game specific set pieces, but if you say here are our three rotating attacking set piece routines: an out swinger, an in swinger, and a non corner. Mm. Um, that that does you know that does so much for you. Maybe maybe defensive set pieces need to be more specific, but I think that when you're starting from a generalized approach, that is, we'll have one guy on the near post six yard box, one player in the far post, and everyone else man marks. The bar is a pretty low point. I actually do think that's imp- improving the overall height of the squads by a, a, a significant sort of boost to the average will see us be better defensively and attacking from set pieces. But it also says to me that we are then still going to massively underutilize that height advantage that we might have. And that just for me says even more reason to invest in the heights that we have and utilize that better from attacking and defensive set pieces. Uh, I also think that we will punt the ball on from the keeper to Doherty a lot in, in Wolves style. Yeah, I think we saw in the, in the World Cup where England were able to make great success of just practising set pieces. It does seem to happen a lot more in international football where you don't have the time with the players, but set pieces is definitely a way to eke out seven or eight extra goals a season for sure. Definitely. And I, I agree about um, Doherty being a, a strength on diagonals, by the way. I think that's... Mm. Definitely going to be useful. I'm intrigued to see um, how he fits in stylistically because unlike Aurier, who would hug the touchline and play high up, Doherty hugs the touchline but then makes a burst to the to the post. That's his that's his style. He likes to attack the, the corner of the box. And in our current structure, it's more left to the attacking midfielder playing just inside him to attack the corner of the box. So I'm intrigued to see how we work that one out. It's going to take a little bit of work and a bit of getting used to. If uh, you had to guess, do you think that we will switch to a wide right winger with Doherty attacking inside the box? Or do you think we will ask Doherty to play differently and be a more of an outside attacker with the wide crossing game? I think the latter. Okay. I think we'll ask Doherty to do the things that Aurier did, hug the touchline, put crosses in. And occasionally get into the box. Aurier did, you know, he's box. had a couple of shots, hasn't he? Mm. A couple of goals even. Yeah. I, I do think that's what we'll start with um i don't think you're getting the best out of doherty if that's the approach you're not going to get the the goals which have been really vital and to be honest we don't score many goals from defenders it's always useful to have other positions chipping in you know especially against the stubborn defense which we've at times struggled to break down having another goal scorer um 
would be really really helpful uh i mean we'll see we'll see we'll see he he might just he might kind of just go against instruction and, and go with his instincts hmm. anyway which is going to be to attack the back post um and and if lucas continues on that side which i expect he will certainly initially because Mourinho absolutely loves lucas he's pretty good at tracking back so that would possibly work but it definitely needs some um needs some tinkering with to to get the best out of that side of the pitch uh greg jenner says assuming we ship out carter vickers and foyt that leaves us dire out of our old sanchez and tanganga as centre-back options on long contracts so would Skriniar or kim min jay be an unnecessary investment when a striker and potential and replacement are needed what do we think on that nathan do you think we've got enough at centre-back? I mean, you could probably add in Ben Davis into the mix as someone who could potentially cover centre-back as he did in one of the friendlies, as he has done for Wales. Um, is that enough? I mean, essentially, I think you want, especially with this season coming up, you want four centre-backs you can trust to, if necessary, play a string of games. And so it comes down to, do you think Tanganga is a first or is it is a squad-level capable centre-back? You probably do. I don't, and that is why I think we probably want to make him fifth choice, which I think is fine for a young centre-back. There's still going to be some minutes there again with such a season as we have coming up, and especially if he can play in full-back positions here and there when necessary. Um, but I think we want a fourth centre-back. We want to make Sanchez maybe fourth choice um, and, and, and have a younger... Because obviously Advero's getting on um, and, and maybe bring in a, a younger centre-back, the likes of Kim Min-Jae. To who who were eventually going to be a first choice centre half? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wrote a, a short blog article looking at the early season fixture congestion that we're going to be facing, and basically what I tried to do in that article was a bit of a proof concept of how we could rotate the team so that two players don't play consecutive matches because they're literally going to be playing two games in like forty eight hours a few Twice. times, um, and it's going to put a lot of pressure on recovery and. We can do it if we've got an extra centre-back. So I included Carter Vickers and I included Foyth in my calculations. Now, if what Greg says is right and those two are gone, and I think we probably I think we probably will sell one of them and maybe both of them, um, I tend to agree with Nathan that we're going to need at least one more centre-back to, just to sort of um, get through that congestion. And if we stay in the Europa League, that congestion is going to carry on into the season. Uh, what do you think, Bardi? What What are your priorities? I mean, I don't know if Kim Min Jae is that kind of guy, whether he's proven enough and whether Mourinho has got the time and the patience to kind of bleed him in in those kind of uh, blood him in during a bleed him in, maybe <laughs> to blood him in in those games. Um, Skriniar is an interesting one. I think, I think he's, he's definitely available because, um, Inter have kind of gone with, um, their other three and the, the young Italian chap, Bastoni, has been playing really well. So Scrinio is definitely available, but I just think he's a bit overpriced for someone who's not kind of first choice. I think he'd be a great signing, but I, I just don't, I think he'd be too expensive for us. But with Dyer, Adovero, Sanchez, Tenganga, I, I'd, I wouldn't be too happy going, I wouldn't be upset starting the season with those four. I ideally, I've kind of come around to keeping Foyth now, perhaps, and going with those five. I think, yeah, I, th- I think if Ndombele leaves, I think our priority is sorting out that midfield. I, I reckon we can kind of scrape by with with those four centre backs, and if we keep Foyth or Vickers, Carter Vickers, I think I think we need a striker replacement and a defensive midfielder. They are priorities. All right, I'd be very happy to keep Foyth 
and and him uh, make up the fifth option. I don't think mm. Carter Vickers should in any way be in consideration for playing for Spurs. But he did have um he did have a decent season last year, didn't he, in the championship? So and I think he even counts as homegrown because he's been with us since I don't know since he was like ten. I don't know, but yeah, he can't, whereas Foyth doesn't. That is true. That is true. And with the number of non-homegrown players now, it's kind of at the one in, one out time. Mm. You know, we've we've got seventeen, so who we we're going to have to sell one or not name them in the squad at this point. So that's why I, su- I suspect we're now waiting for probably Aurier to leave before we announce our next signing or sign. You know, move on our next signing, as it were. We had lots of questions. I mean, you just mentioned Ndombele there, Bardi. We had lots of questions about Ndombele from uh, what's his problem to is he done? Um, Nick <laughs> Becker says, if we sell Ndombele for what we paid for him, what players could we buy that would fit with Jose's system that would make his loss more tolerable. Nathan, is the loss of Ndombele going to be tolerable in any way? <laughs> no. <laughs> so we should just persist with Ndombele, right? <laughs> I, I, okay, I, again, like, it's very easy for me to sit here and say, hey, I watched all of these Ndombele games when he was in Ligue 1 and he's incredible and we've got to find a way to get him into the team if I'm not there at training and if he's just like, you know... Telling the manager to fuck off and <laughs> never trying at all. I don't know how bad, you know, if he's cramming entire bags of Haribo into his mouth and <laughs> never, uh, never completes an entire sprint. I, you know, if things are completely beyond possible with him, then we have to try and recoup some value. Um, but my personal, um, patience for him and my personal, um, barrier for for uh, tolerance for um the issues he's had so far is really high because he's just such an incredible player and and i'd really like us to do whatever we can to try to make it work out with him but if we did sell him who's <laughs> top of your list i don't know sangare sangare is top of my list to to come in and and, and take that role from him and be a more defensive version of ndombele i guess uh, buddy andrew felder says is sell Tongi and use the funds to buy Grealish at all realistic? I mean, I don't see why not. It'd be crazy to sign Grealish for a huge amount after we've had the opportunity to sign him a couple of seasons ago for quite cheap. Um, I I personally think Ndombele's done at Spurs, which is a huge, huge shame. I don't think... I think the only thing that can save Ndombele is if something bad happens to to Mourinho in the next next couple of weeks. <laughs> Um, but I would, I mean, I'd be well, well up for selling him and then buying Grealish. I don't think, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a bad turnaround. And it's probably well within our budget that it, that could happen if we get a decent amount for Ndombele. I think that sort of stylistically might give us a bit of a, a gap. Um, obviously there's sort of a general coverage throughout the team there, but they're, they're definitely not like for like players. Uh, Grealish is, is more similar to the Celso in that yeah, he can play deep. But I think generally you prefer to have him as the most attacking of three midfielders or one of the attacking band. Southgate came out the other day and said pretty much straight up, I will never play this man in midfield. He will always be an attacker or a winger to me, which is, which is pretty which is bold. I, I don't see why he couldn't be, again, a really attacking number eight. Um, but Ndombele for me is, is a much deeper player than that, a ball progressor, someone who can pick up the ball from deep. Um, contrary to maybe what we've seen, someone who puts up quite impressive defensive numbers uh, and is a controlling player, whereas Grealish is a creative attacking player like like Lo Celso. 
But um, could Grealish, is the way he plays at the moment, be a, a matter of circumstances with Villa that they he's their best player, so they kind of need him to get as near to the box as possible. Whereas with Spurs, we can kind of afford to keep him further away from the from the box because we have those kind of individuals there, kind of like in the same way maybe perhaps that Betis used Lacelso, and we could maybe benefit with Grealish's dribbling and his ability to draw fouls and perhaps beat the press in a deeper role. I, I mean, I. I think he's young enough to maybe try that role. Yeah, I'd, I'd quite like to see it. Maybe, maybe. I think that's a good, it's a good shout actually. Grealish is ridiculously good, and mm. he's mm. very much Premier League proven. Um, yeah, I think Grealish goes to a club and improves them. To be honest, I th- yeah. I, I, and he's, he's uh, young. He's English, he's young, and he's now English. <laughs> <laughs> he fits the body criteria. <laughs> it ticks all my boxes. <laughs> 
and therefore he's a, a man who is directing football, <laughs> you know. Um, Damien Camoli likes him or seems to like him, brought him with him to Liverpool. I've got a lot of time for Camoli. Um, so that's about the only read I have on Hitchin. Uh, but nonetheless, just with the general circumstances, I'm hoping this means that the changing around and dereliction of duties means that Hitchin has more power. Uh, I, I like the idea of Daniel Levy being further removed from yeah. what's happening on the ground. I, I think it's really important that, that we have a team of absolute specialists in their in their respective areas who lead the different departments and it is departments now where you know this is a seriously big club they have significant staff working beneath them to deliver on these things and Daniel Levy at times has been accused of trying to do too much trying to be too involved we've seen that some of his kind of football <laughs> decisions have been perhaps his downfall in the past um so this I see this as a good thing I see this as a very good thing he's got a board of of people who are all seen as highly successful in their fields uh, who who will enable him to hopefully have better oversight of the club in general rather than you know meddling in matters that are below his pay grade so i guess we we watch and we wait and we see what happens the the interesting thing about birch is that he doesn't tend to stay at clubs too long he's moved around a lot lots of people are making assumptions about uh the fact that we could be lining up a sale of the club i think it's too early i think it's too early for that I don't think Levy's in a position where he could sell at this point. There needs to be uh, more value added to the to the club. We've got this huge stadium debt. I mean, it's not a debt as such. Well, it is debt, but it's a, it's like having a mortgage, essentially. It's a debt we can manage. Uh, but I think for him to get absolute maximum value, if he is, a, is to ever sell, and he will sell eventually, but if he's to look towards a sale, I think he needs to wait a little longer. So I wouldn't necessarily buy into that theory although I appreciate where it's come from because previously Birch has been at a club and then they've been sold and then he's been at another club and they've been sold. So there's some logic being applied there. Nathan? But he, yes, that has happened to him a handful of times. Well, that's been his role a handful of times. But he does also have like a full lengthy career being like mm. a football finance guy for <laughs> decades at, at you know, high-level clubs. So he's not just a guy who facilitates sales. Um, I have a... Um, something of a Swansea contact who had some at least reasonable regard for Birch as like a smart guy. That is the beginning and end of my insight to Birch. <laughs> so, I mean, the the idea is that he comes in and he oversees the day-to-day running of, of Hotspur Way, right? Um, and on the surface, that sounds that sounds like a very overblown role for, mm. for overseeing the training ground. But then you think about it and there is so much going on at that training ground. You know, you think we've got we've got teams from i don't know under eights up to the first team you've got all the physios you've got the commercial activities you've got the sort of team the player hotel there that's a lot to manage and it kind of makes sense that someone would be kind of a head of department of that in terms of coaching in terms of everything you know overall responsibility for everything so i i I think it kind of makes sense buddy what do you think of all this yeah I think removing some of the responsibility from Daniel Levy is always good. Um, we see more kind of big companies turn into like a, a chief of operations who look after the kind of, um, the, the real kind of stuff happening at the club or the, or, or, or the company. Mm-hmm. Um, Levy chairing the football board is an interesting use of terms. I think he will be there to, to listen, hopefully to his advisors and not perhaps make the decisions himself. 
um, allow that to be a group decision. And the other thing was the first team recruitment and sales led by Hitchin, Mourinho and Levy is um, is probably a good thing. If selling players has always been perhaps a bigger problem than buying players. Mm. So I think anything that helps us sell better is, is a good thing. So I didn't mention what Rebecca Capelhorn would now be doing. She's going to be the Director of Football Administration and Governance. And I presume that means she oversees the activities going on in Lily White House that we saw in the documentary. So the HR, the finance, et cetera, et cetera, which again, you know, you need a, you need a leadership figure there. So that makes complete sense. Um, there's a lot of governance to adhere to in football now. There's financial fair play. There's uh, UEFA regulations. So yeah, all for that. Fine. Um, as you can tell, we don't really know a lot about this. We don't really know what to expect from it. We kind of had assumptions on how the club was run beforehand. It's all very opaque. So we're just going on what um, our trusted beat journalists can tell us about this. Um, and I, I guess it remains to be seen. I guess, uh, yeah, watch this space. So the other things left to talk about are the friendly games against Reading and against Birmingham. Uh, we beat Reading 4-1. We beat Birmingham 1-0. The Reading game I quite enjoyed. The Birmingham game, less so. Any thoughts, Bardi, from either of those matches? I didn't watch the Reading game and I tuned in for the Birmingham game to watch Harry Kane, who they just left on the bench <laughs> and sucked me in. Signing up for that, I got the free passes and signing up for the free pass was nearly as painful as watching the football match. And then I didn't even get to, I didn't even see Kane's face. So I was, I was left really disappointed. But it was a beautiful goal from Berge, who um, swept it into that bottom corner. He likes that. He likes mm. that little part of mm. the net. He looked great when he came on. He was the best player, I thought, against Birmingham. Very, I mean, as, as he always is, he's very skillful mm. and uh, very tidy. Nathan, what did you think of these two matches? Uh, I didn't sign up for my is it the N17 pass. <laughs> I, I'm an idiot and so is my father. We both received emails saying, sign up now for your free pass and then paid it no attention and thought, yeah, I'll do it on the day. And then that's too late. Apparently, you need to have signed up in advance and then only on the day you have to pay. I'm not going to pay for something that I should have had for free. So I'm having to illegally stream <laughs> these pre-season matches, which is quite a challenge, it turns out. There's not a huge amount of coverage of, you know, a Spurs Birmingham friendly on a Saturday afternoon when, like, there's actual competitive football going on. Um, so it's been a it's been a slightly challenging experience on the technological end, <laughs> um, but um, uh, we've pressed high at times. That's mm. nice to see. Especially mm. what's really interesting. Someone pointed this out on Twitter. I can't remember who. I apologise. Someone pointed out just how much people on the documentary use the word pressing talk about pressing press them hard press them early yeah and then you think about the actual football and a lot of the time we've been in a medium or even a low block maybe more of a low block towards the other end of the documentary and we'll see mm. how that sort of works out but it's mm. it's amusing anyway um yeah we've been we've been pressing high and we've been pressing high in patches and we we turn the ball over a few times and that's uh that's interesting you know it's interesting to see Shout out to um, N17 TV as well for a crisp and pretty fresh stream as well. I, <laughs> Great. It was, it was it was pretty nice for for something that Spurs put together. It was it was quite it was pretty good. Yeah, it really was. The streaming quality was excellent, yeah. and also it's headed up by friend of the pod Ben Haynes, who is doing a smashing job of um, fronting yeah. Spurs's uh, streaming delivery. He he's had um, some some ex Spurs players there to interview. Um, uh, he's yeah, it's, it's it's lovely to have someone like Ben who we know is a knowledgeable, genuine fan fronting up our our delivery. It's um, it's great. 
Ben and... sorts out with a pass, please, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the last game's due to oh, be streamed. Oh, for God's sake. So <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you might have to put up with nothing, Nathan, okay. for, for the Watford match. I, I, I don't think there's much more to talk about from these games. They're very... There's so many subs that they kind of tend to lose a lot of meaning. One thing that's noteworthy is that Jedson started as a 10. He was absolutely horrible, horrible as a 10. He didn't do anything right. He moved deeper into midfield and looked a lot better. I thought um, Joe Hart has a magnificent voice on him. He absolutely, his voice booms out. I know you can hear a lot of stuff with no fans there anyway, but he was properly going after his defence at corners. Rather than like Lloris, you, you hear the away at corners. But Joe Hart was absolutely screaming at them and he kept telling Dyer. It, it reminded me of like, um, a, I used to watch that TV show, you know, where you, the farmers get all the sheep into the little pens <laughs> and you, you hear them shouting at their dog to control the sheep. He was shouting at Dyer, organise Americ! And it was it was quite nice to hear. And I, I do like a, a very vocal goalkeeper. It normally gets drowned out, but it was it was nice to hear. Winner, that's what you get. He's a winner, <laughs> he's 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 literally got Premier League contracts off the back of being loud at this stage of his career. Yeah. I reckon. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh... I thought Jensen wasn't as bad at right back as was perceived on Twitter, but still not great. So uh... <laughs> I I think Jensen's fine at right back. I think he's not a ten. And I don't want to see him play ten. <laughs> I, re- I mean, I get why he would play 10 because he's got legs and he really can run. He's he's incredibly, incredibly uh, athletic and has amazing yeah. stamina. So the logic is there, but mm, I don't think his touch is good enough to play 10. I don't think his anticipation is good enough. I don't think his awareness is good enough. He's much more suited to having the pitch in front of him rather than having his back to goal. Well, I, I don't even know if it's that because I, I just think his inability to, to turn, he's all right once he's, once he's no going subtlety. somewhere, but there's zero subtlety. Even when the ball was being cleared and he was collecting it and he ended up facing his back four, he just, even though he, was, he had so much space, he was just unable to quickly turn and go mm. the other way. He was always laying it backwards. He just, it just doesn't seem to have a, um, a reverse gear in him. You are describing a fullback. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe he will end up being a, a fifty million pound right back that we end up having to. Imagine there's like a, an injury crisis, and if he plays one more minute, he's um, we have to buy him, and Mourinho needs to make a decision, put a substitute on, and he just decides to put a goalkeeper on at right back because he doesn't want to give minutes to Jetson, doesn't want to buy him. If we happen, if we it? activate that transfer fee for Jetson, I'm going to find another club to support <laughs> because there is. There's no logic there at all. The the transfer fee, the agreed transfer fee, is only there, I'm sure, to encourage a future sale for a high value to another club. To, so they can say, right. look, we valued him at 50 million at one point. He's not worth 50 million. He's barely worth 5 million. He's a young player who's got some potential. We've got lots of those already. It's odd. It's very odd. Mm. When I watched him play as uh, a 10, I was like fully on board with Nathan's terminate his loan contract take from uh, a, a, a previous podcast. So, yeah. Uh, Sanjeev Kumar says, given the crazy fixture list, do fringe players and youth prospects have a big role to play in our progression in cups and the league? So, Bardi, we've seen Dennis Serkin perform well. We've seen Harvey White look tidy in midfield. We've seen Sessignon on the left, we've seen Clark on the right, we've even seen Jamie Bowden come off the bench and Alfie Devine, Dane Scarlett, we've seen Cameron Carter-Vickers come in at centre-back. 
do you think we're going to need these players in the early stages of the season? Yeah, I think so. I, I don't know if um, I don't know how keen we will be to take Kane, uh, Delhi, and the rest of them to um, Lokomotiv Plodov, um, Plodiv. Um, yeah, I think that will be a, a team of backup players and um, youth guys that go there. How about you, Nathan? Do we need to integrate some of these players in the we early really, stages? We really need to. And I tweeted this before, but I think that we should fully, fully hand over the League Cup to our youth staff, by which I mean Mourinho doesn't think about it. Mm-hmm. None of our first team players lose mm-hmm. any training time to that competition, at least until the later rounds, at least mm-hmm. until 2021. Um because I just think we we have to drop a competition, and I like the way that we normally do that is like okay, yeah, the the youth the the manager picks youth players, but he's still dedicating training time, dedicating mental capacity, you know, one or two senior players. And what I'm saying is, you no, know, like the the way the EFL trophy is handed for Premier League sides, and I appreciate that lower league sides are upset with that, but I think as a club we have to approach it in that manner and say. This is not our competition yet. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm fully on board with that. And I think the early stages of the Europa League as well, uh, it, I think they are set up perfectly for some of our young players to be involved. Certainly White and Serkin, who, for my money, are ready for some minutes. I'm not saying start them against Man U in the league. I'm saying let's give them 60 minutes or even half an hour in the Europa League and see what happens. Um, yeah, Serkin's going to be a, a, a fantastic rotation at left back and White is a very capable central midfielder. Uh, Dawes says, please try and explain how Spurs have managed to end up with one recognised striker without using the tried and tested excuse that football has changed and everyone plays inverted wingers now. So how have we ended up in this predicament, Bardi, where we only have one out-and-out striker? I think because we just keep buying bad strikers. I think if Vincent Janssen, we tried with Vincent Janssen to sign a sign a striker. We had Lorente for a bit. And then since then, we just haven't been able to, for some reason, to find a striker that fits maybe the age profile, the experience profile. Mourinho wasn't keen on using uh, a youngster in Troy Parrott. So I, I think we did try. But uh, it's it's got to that place now where we 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 do need to buy a striker. But I, I think we have tried in the past. Any thoughts, Nathan? I mean, yeah, we sort of said it all before, and we have used the tried and tested excuse about using wingers in that role and everything. Um, we've talked before about the way that Kane is sort of a vacuum for all minutes; that he's only going to lose out minutes to a a genuinely capable forward. I thought I really I really liked the Vincent Janssen signing at the time. I thought he looked really good in Eredivisie. I think a lot of players look good in Eredivisie maybe. Mm. Um I don't know, I guess it's hard. Um I certainly hope that we are prepared to invest some money in that role this summer because Parrot is out on loan mm-hmm. and Kane won't give way to playing Son or Lucas or Delhi in that role. I don't well, think. I think Son is genuinely a really good striker. I think he's really good when he plays up top, but he's also our best attacking midfield player. Hmm. So you, you lose something if you sort of rotate Kane out and you put Son up front. It's like, well, now we've got Bergvine and Lucas. I like Bergvine, Leskin and Lucas, but that's not as strong a, um, a line behind the striker. And like you say, it, it's not a natural backup to Kane, and Kane simply will demand the minutes if there's no like obvious replacement for him. I think it's partly a psychological thing with Kane. Um, it's essential. It's really essential that we sign a striker this summer. It's been essential before, but it's got even more essential now with the number of games this season. Um, 
unless we go out of the Europa League really early, which is, um, of course, a possibility. Uh, final question. This is from Ray Guilford. He asked us to discuss the possibility of signing an attacking left wing back to complement Doherty. We could then revert to a back three. Dyer and Toby suit this in, in Ray's opinion. Um, and he talks about the possibility of selling Dombele and buying another midfielder as well. Um, what do you think? I mean, we've not seen Mourinho play much sort of wing backs yet. When he's played a back three, it's been one of the fullbacks tucking rounds. But do we see this as a possibility, Nathan, with Matt Doherty and and uh, and Ryan Sessegnon? Maybe yeah, Ryan another... Sessegnon. We have an attacking left wing back. His name is Ryan Sessegnon. I think that, like, okay, maybe now what we want to do is sell Aurea and buy a second choice right back who is perhaps more of the defensive build so that we have yeah. an attacking option and a defensive option on both sides and we get sort of a full coverage there. Um, and you can play one of one or two of both or three centre-backs behind them mm. and, and the two attacking ones, etc. And you have that, that kind of coverage. I don't, I really don't want us to go out and buy an attacking left-back because we have that in Sessegnon and I really want to see him get some minutes when, as and when we are using that role. Um, and I hope that we find space for that role this season. It's good, though, that Doherty gives us the opportunity to play wing-backs if needed. We know he's very capable at wing-back. That's that's a thing, so it gives us some flexibility. And, Bardi, I'm interested in what you think of this idea that uh, Dyer and Alvarado are suited to playing as part of a back three. I mean, under Pochettino's kind of best run of form at Spurs, we played a back three with um, Dyer, Toby and Jan, so... I think that works. I like Dyer in a back three. I think Dyer as a centre midfielder is probably finished now. Um, I'm less sold on Sessignon. I'm going to keep my opinions to myself for a little while, but I, I, I'm starting to have doubts. I'm starting to have doubts about Sessignon. I'm not going to say bin him off, but I'm, I'm just a little bit concerned that we're still using that he lacks confidence thing. I will, but I will wait before I pass the before I pass judgment on him. But I'm having doubts anyway. Buddy, judging by my Twitter mentions, you are very much not alone in that. Sessignon okay. is not popular uh, amongst our fan base. So I'm now I'm now like one of those people that troll you. I've always thought I've That's always not... thought of you as a troll. <laughs> okay. And we shall leave it there until next time. <laughs> You've been listening to the Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud E Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.